Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. As we uh, explore aging as spiritual opportunity, I wanted to um, talk about one important issue that I think is a key attitude to open up to the reality. And that is um, learning to love ourselves just as we are. Now, this is probably a good thing to learn at any age. You can remove the word probably. Um, This is a good thing and an important and an essential thing to continually um, open up to at any age. If you're fortunate, you might have the idea or get an inkling or maybe even have have learned it at a, a young age. It's rare, but um, it does happen. Uh, but particularly as uh, we're advancing in years, we're dealing with uncharted territory and changing uh, images and identity of just who we are. And maybe we've even grown to appreciate and like ourselves at other stages in our life, but here's a whole new ball game. Being uh, kind and loving and appreciative of uh, these bodies as they change, or these minds as they're perhaps not quite as sharp, or these personalities that have not changed, even though we've wanted them to. (laughs) They said everything changes. Well, let's get on with the personality, okay? But it's still here. Or we might think, well, gee, um, I've been living a long time and I'm still stuck in the same habits that I was when I was a teenager. Didn't I learn anything? And so there's a whole other level of, of pressure or frustration if we have some kind of ideas or expectations about how we should or could grow older gracefully. So uh, I'll be sharing this and try to keep um, the theme of the retreat in mind, but also know that it's applicable to anyone at any age. This afternoon, um, it was really beautiful um, seeing the inquiry and hearing some of the responses. And uh, it was very moving as people talked about how um, impactful and uh, profound it is to be intimate with another person and to to completely show up 
with authenticity and vulnerability and a, a, a risk of just being completely who we are. And it's so interesting how when we do that or when we're with somebody else who can do that, our heart opens up to them in a very different way than if somebody is somehow understandably, habitually, um, through just just practicing certain ways of being, trying to protect themselves or, or feeling that uh, they've got something to hide. We all have, you know, the old Beatles song, everybody's got something to hide. We all have something to hide, you know, in some ways. And yet, when we take the risk and show ourselves and say, this is who, this is who I really am, in this moment, how the heart just is so ready to open up and bow and say, oh, thank you for being real. And I could feel it here in the room, just in the the few sharings, and I have a sense that those voices were speaking for many people in the room. So we long for this kind of connection this kind of intimacy, and we see the power of authenticity and vulnerability, it opens the heart. And as you probably can guess, the most powerful source of that is opening up to ourselves. It starts with ourselves, starts with connection with ourselves, starts with being authentic and being willing to see all parts of ourselves. That's what we're doing here. You know, whether it's this retreat or any retreat, when you come to practice in this way, as we do here, is learning to open up to the whole show. Learning to open up to all the parts of ourselves that perhaps we wish had changed by now, but are there. And to see our humanness and that underneath our humanness, underneath the flaws, underneath all the frustrations or uh, the, the, the disappointments or the things that we're, we're judging is something really beautiful. I've been leading retreats as, uh, as well as my, my colleagues for many, many years and it's, it never ceases to amaze me how this practice works over a period of days or weeks or sometimes months, how when we're willing to show up completely and see and look honestly at everything that's in there, there's an awareness and a love and a compassion and a goodness that can hold it all, that's underneath all of those things that we wish were out of the way, that we protect ourselves from seeing, and in that very protection, miss out on connecting with all the the goodies underneath. But this is what we're doing here, to open up to the whole package and hit that pay dirt, hit that, that goodness that's really the essence of who we are, you know, as on the first evening, taking refuge in the Buddha, 
taking refuge in your own capacity to awaken and your own goodness, what's sometimes called your true nature, who you really are when you uh, are not confused by the obscurations. Here's a, a few pointers to this. This is the Buddha saying, luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This unlearned people do not really understand, and so they do not cultivate this mind and heart. Luminous is this mind and this heart, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way really understands, and so for them there is the cultivation of this mind and this heart. That's who you really are underneath, luminous mind. This is from a a wonderful Tibetan master, Nyoshal Kempo. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment is present in everyone. It is pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. This is what we're doing here as we practice. Walt Whitman with that beautiful line, I am larger, better than I thought. I did not know I held so much goodness. Isn't that a beautiful line? Maybe you've gotten a glimpse from time to time. Oh my goodness. Well, that's a good way to say it. Oh, I never said it like that actually. It just came to me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I like that. Oh, got, got, got something new, a new teaching just as I'm speaking. Oh my goodness, there's so much goodness in there. What a great discovery. This is, um, this is not the usual way we see ourselves. And I, and I know that it's often the hardest uh, to see our own goodness. It's so much easier to see it in everyone else. And I'm talking from as someone who knows well this territory. When, when I was very young, I, I write this in, uh, in Awakening Joy, when I, in the chapter on learning to love ourselves, which there is, I, I think, a key in that whole process. When I was very young, I had this, um, this ongoing image that I was, um, that before I was born, before anyone was born, we were all kind of limbo in some kind of, you know, bardo, uh, limbo souls on a shelf waiting to incarnate. And that I had this image of what I imagined in my mind, God or his right-hand assistant or some, somewhere, some being. This big hand was coming and picking out souls to be incarnated and I got picked by mistake 
it was supposed to be the guy next to me. <laughs> this is true. This was an ongoing image. I and I was an imposter and I'd be found out and, um, you know, and I was a fraud. And I got here by accident, just lucky. This did not lead to a very good self-image, you know. And although, you know, I had a lot of love, uh, I also had a lot of fear uh, in, in my, my family. And um, uh, I, uh, I did not like myself very well, much. I, in fact, especially as I grew older, um, f- as I um, got into... Mm, started getting into school, middle grades, and 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 older. Um, I became very, very shy and very insecure. I would wince looking in the mirror for quite a number of my my years. Just like oof, I just didn't like what I. I wasn't cool as as cool as I thought I should be, and didn't know if people would like me and I had friends but at least particularly around new people and um, when I heard the Dharma um, and I heard for the first time uh, Joseph Goldstein say basically what I heard that it's possible to not be run by your neurotic thoughts that had never crossed my mind before and the way he said it I really believed him and I was in such internal suffering that I was going for it. And so I was very highly motivated. If you're having a a sense of, oh, there's so much suffering, I could never overcome my history and my past. Don't believe it. You can be highly motivated, that much more motivated than somebody who is uh, basically um, just lolling along and not being so motivated to change in their own dukkha, but not, not being aware of it. So I, I really was going for it. And at that point, if somebody said it's possible to love yourself, let alone like yourself, you know, I would have said, you know, I don't think... It's in the cards for me in this lifetime. Um, And I'm here to say that it is absolutely possible. And I have a feeling that everybody here has gotten glimpses of it. We just don't recognize it. But to more and more get in touch with that core of, of basic goodness. Why is it so hard? Well, for one when habits are practiced so uh, continuously, when that's how we hold ourselves in a certain way, and that image and identity um, has a lot of time to be concretized, it, it's hard to shift our, our way of thinking or holding ourselves. Particularly in this culture, in Western culture, one of the things that really drew me to Buddha Dharma was the radical difference from the 
um, Judeo-Christian Western psyche that talks about original sin. It's a subtle one, and I and I you know come from as I said many times uh, you know I'm, I was raised Jewish and I have tremendous honoring of my heritage, so I, uh, I I'm not I'm not you know disparaging any anything in our uh, beautiful religious spiritual traditions here. But that one, starting out with original sin and being kicked out of the Garden of Eden because we did something wrong, is very deep in the psyche. It's so different and that if we repent and we, we do good things and gain God's favor, we can again be uh, you know, redeemed. And what drew me personally to the Dharma was this whole notion, and Hinduism too, this whole notion of you're already a Buddha. You're already pure. You're already the divine. The divine spark is who you are. Not so different than hearing the kingdom of God is within you or you are God, but it's, it gets distorted in that story but to see you are already pure and good and it's just obscurations that are getting in the way of seeing who you really are. Whatever, whether it's habit patterns or the the cultural psyche or um, sixth grade bully or our teachers who said this or that about ourselves or needing to be better than everyone else. You know, being average is not good enough and so you've got to be better than average. You know, not everybody can be better than average. Then there wouldn't be an average, right? Um, And there's a lot of pressure to be more than who we are. Uh, it's, It's complicated. But as whatever judgment we have towards ourselves or however we don't measure up or however we think that, uh, well, I don't know if there's any goodness in there to be found. I'm really, you know, when I look inside, I just see pettiness and sadness and loneliness and whatever, you know, that's when, what we focus on. And, and first, when you come to the retreat, you first see all that stuff too. It's, you know, Sometimes, as they say, self-awareness is sometimes not good news. But, but underneath that, underneath that, there is, at the core of your being, something in you that is completely rooting for your happiness. And it governs every single thing that you do. Anybody here that doesn't want to be happy? Okay. Now, if you're holding your hand back and saying, yeah, I like being grumpy, that's just your way of being happy. <laughs> but whatever you do, if you take a look, don't believe me, you, know, you can just investigate for yourself. Everything that we do 
often misguided, often confused, often out of uh, behaviors that that we've practiced that, that don't serve us. But everything that we do is done with the sense that this will make me feel better in some way. Even if it's hurting ourselves, as it often is. Even if it's hurting others, as it sometimes is. It's kind of so interesting, that paradox, that whatever we do, we're doing to make us feel good, and so often we do the very things that cause more suffering. This is what motivated the Buddha to teach when he, after he was enlightened. Probably many of you know this, that at first he didn't want didn't to teach. He was just going to enjoy his own awakening because, as it says in the, in the, uh, in, in the scriptures, it would be a great vexation to me if I shared and people did not understand but when he was encouraged to look at everybody in the world and saw that everybody wants to be happy and most everybody is going, is doing exactly the thing or are doing exactly the things that are leading to more suffering and that if they could just see what he saw that they could understand where real happiness lies. So this is important to see that there's something in you, no matter how wounded or flawed or whatever you have ideas about yourself there is, there's something in you that truly wants to be happy. That's a beautiful thing. And even more, it has seen you through all of your trials, it's been stronger than all the fears and the doubts and the self-judgments that you might have. It's gotten you here. So something must be good that's happening in your life. If you, maybe you don't think so on the second day of retreat, but if you're here practicing because you truly want to wake up and grow in understanding and love and compassion, something that's stronger than all of your doubts, fears, and judgments has been pulling you through. So not to miss that, just to, to see it, to connect with it, and to, be, um, and to empower it, especially when we see where happiness truly lies. Now, of course, this takes patience. Because we've been practicing, most of us, another way for so long. So it takes patience. It Change usually doesn't happen all at once. Although sometimes it can. Sometimes it can be a radical awakening. You know, there are some beings who've had radical awakenings have not, not uh, turned back. Like Ramana Maharshi or Eckhart Tolle or you know, people who've gone through a major... Fear or confusion, often it's coming up to the very edge of their, the depth of their fear or their um, um, confusion that have brought about an awakening. But for most of us, it doesn't happen that radically 
a transformation that stays. For most of us, there can be a major, uh, a real glimpse, and then it's kind of uh, and a profound transformational understanding. But then it takes practice to deepen and abide in that new understanding, because the old habits are there. So it takes practice, it takes patience, and it just takes inclining the mind, I love that line, inclining the mind to more and more um, abide in a certain perspective. And, And modern neuroscience is is corroborating this as well, where they say that you know neurons that fire together wire together. The Buddha said it this way. He said, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. And if you frequently think and ponder upon how you are you know, no good and a loser or whatever, that becomes the inclination of your mind. But you can shift if you frequently th- pon- think and ponder upon your goodness and your, uh, your pure heart and your sincerity, then you start to give life to that aspect. And whether you call it loving ourselves or developing loving kindness to ourselves, the word metta, often is translated as loving kindness. It doesn't have to be that lofty. It can be just a simple kindness towards ourselves. That's enough. Just a basic kindness. Makes it much more not only accessible, but um, effective. If we just open the channel to a basic kindness, the love follows in in its own time. So I wanted to, talk a little bit about a few aspects of, of this. First, what is a prerequisite is forgiveness. Because we so easily see all the flaws. So that's the first thing. You can't say, oh yes, I like these flaws and I like those flaws and Although part of, the, part of the practice is really, as I said, opening up to the whole show and embracing it all. Robert Bly has this, this wonderful line. He says, every part of our personality that we do not learn to love and accept will become hostile to us. So if you hate your anger, you'll just become more angry. If you hate your, um, your fear or your loneliness or whatever, then that becomes what you focus on. But if you can somehow embrace it, not that you like it, but that you can hold it with a tenderness, you can hold it with an understanding of your humanness, That's the radical transformation. Not that you have to get rid of anything. And not that you have to like it, but that you can be friendly to it. That's what the word metta means. 
metta, maitri in Sanskrit, friendly, friend, friendliness. And that means a, a kind of forgiveness for being just who you are, particularly as we're uh, in our older years, most of us, how can we relate to our bodies? Can we forgive our bodies for just doing what they do, what bodies do? Or forgiving our minds, or forgiving our habits and patterns for just being habitually practiced. And not get caught in the comparing mind that's so rampant, particularly in a society that values and highlights youth. And there you are, often seeming like you're no longer as relevant because you don't fit the, you know, the main character in the movie. Although it's great that some movies in, in recent years have, have been you know, shining a light. As the baby boom, boomers have grown old, you know, there's a benefit to that. You know, you're not alone, particularly by the people who've been creating media and entertainment. But still, in this culture, it's so, it's so prevalent. And the comparing mind and the judging mind is there it's going to be there until you're fully enlightened. Just as a little uh, uh, sidebar for Buddhist psychology, in the, the development of, of, of enlightenment, there's four stages of enlightenment. The fourth one being a fully enlightened being. The third one, pretty rarefied atmosphere, they're still judging in the mind what's called the conceit of I am, comparing ourselves to others. So don't expect that you'll get rid of the judgment. Just cut yourself a little slack. You're no higher than third stage. Anyway, how can you relate to the judgments that come in the, in the mind? This is a very important practice. Because every time, if you see the judgment, especially if you're, you're told, oh, I'm supposed to be practicing non-judging awareness, and there you see, you know, oh, you are wandering. Come on, get back here. And then you realize, oh, that was a judgment. I'm not supposed to be judging. And you say, oh, shoot, I just did it again. It's another judgment. <laughs> and there's no way out of that. You can judge the judging and have 15 different layers of judging until you see for yourself, oh, it's just judging in the mind. It's just judging. And don't judge the judging. I, I share this with, um, I shared in a group today and I often share it on retreat. Some of you I'm sure have, have heard it, but. Uh, I'll share it with f particularly for those who haven't, and it's a good practice anyway. It was my main practice for about two years, working with the judging mind, because I could see I've got a really good judging mind, even better than yours. I, I, bet. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. And I saw how how I was so caught up in this. And that this is the key. If I could just learn to be a bit kinder with myself, it would make all the difference in the world. So, and I could see how harsh I was in noticing the judgment. So this is my practice. Just try this, even if you've done it before. 
is close your eyes and uh, imagine something comes up that you judge yourself for. Just imagine that would happen, right? Think of the last thing that's bugging you about yourself or today, you know. And there you are, you just saw, oh, there's, there's, there's judging. And now, take your hand and put it on your cheek. You close your eyes as you do this. And uh, just feel the kindness in your, in your hand, the tenderness. And as you're caressing your cheek, in the kindest voice, silently saying to yourself, oh, judging, judging. It's okay, dear. And let yourself feel it. Okay, you can open your eyes. Could you get a sense of that? Just feeling that tenderness? That was my main practice for two years. And I didn't do this each time, but when I'd forget I would, because there's something about touching yourself either on your cheek or on your, on your heart, that reminds you, but I would, the tone that I'd notice would be that of Kuan Yin doing the the noting. When you start to practice that way, then every time you blow it and there's a judgment, great, it's a chance to practice compassion. If you did nothing else, then notice your judgments with that kind, tender compassion, you'd spend a very good, worthwhile week here. So this is one thing. Forgiveness for the judging, not adding on the second arrow, as it's said in the teachings. It's one thing to to feel the the pain of, of of a particular mind state and it's another than to add on top of it, oh, I shouldn't be having this. That can turn into a real compassion if you start to practice. Or forgiveness for our past actions. This sometimes get in, gets in the way. I don't deserve to be happy because I've done this or I've done that. And when you start to practice, you will see probably a very um, eye-opening life review. It often happens. Particularly if you're doing loving-kindness practice, that's when you really get to see, oh, may I be happy, may I feel all the love inside. You think, oh, I can't believe I did that when I was 18. Oh, that when I was 20. Oh, that one. You, it's very humbling because it, it brings up all the the things that get in the way of kindness towards ourselves. On one, one retreat, first time I did a metta retreat, a loving kindness retreat, there was just one awful thing after another that came to my mind. It was so bad. It was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, may I be happy? May I be peaceful? Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And it got so bad that at some point, I decided to name and write down the top 20 really awful things that I've done. Just, okay, I'll get it out of my system. I'll just see it, because it was so humbling. 
I was very fortunate to pick the number 20 because I only could get up to 17 really bad things, okay? And, okay, it was bad, but there was a, a bottom to it. And each time I cringed, and I still can cringe, thinking, oh, I can't believe I did that. Cringing is actually a good thing. Cringing is a very good sign. And I started to get this through that retreat. Oh my goodness, as much as as painful as it was, I can't believe I did that. Oh no. Then it became clear to me, I could not do that anymore. I'm a different person than the one who did those things. That's a good sign. If you didn't cringe, if you just said, oh, well, that's what people do, you know, I'll keep on doing that, then it might be a little dicey, you know. But to really forgive yourself for not being as conscious as you uh, are now. So first, I'll ju- before we go on, I'll just uh, spend a, a moment. I'd like to ask you, invite you, close your eyes for a moment. And uh, just ask yourself, what do I need to forgive myself for? Whether it's past actions or who you are in your image, your body, your mind, your being, your personality, what do I need to forgive myself for? What would I need to understand in order to truly forgive myself? And I'd like you to imagine someone else in your predicament filled with self-judgment around whatever this is, would you be able to forgive that person? And then let the wisest and most compassionate part of you you forgive that confused being even if it's just a glimpse and getting in touch with your sincerity that brings you on this retreat. Okay, if you can, if you'd like, you can open your eyes. Thing is that when we get down on ourselves and dwell on what's wrong, we miss out on all the goodness. Here's a a passage that uh, perhaps some of you are familiar with. This is from Jack, Jack's book, uh, Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness and Peace. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, 
He's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused, one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken. A joyous celebration takes place and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. A good tribe to hang out with. Right? And that's what we, we need to do to remember our goodness instead of dwelling on how we somehow aren't good enough or don't measure up. It's shifting the focus and letting go of being perfect to see that we're continually learning and growing. One of my favorite lines in in the Third Zen Patriarch, which is my, my favorite piece of Dharma wisdom, it says, to live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's the real realization, to be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's when you know you've really made it, to just be completely who you are. So forgiveness is a very important first step or um, important step. Might not be first, but it it seems to to be needed before a genuine uh, loving kindness. And often loving kindness practice um, starts with some forgiveness. But then there's actually appreciating and, um, and learning to be kind and loving towards yourself and wishing yourself happiness. This, again, is not so easy for many people. In the classical loving-kindness practice, you start out with self, and then uh, benefactor, and then dear friend, and then neutral and difficult, and on to all all beings. But it starts with the self. And the Buddha says you can search the whole world over and not find anyone more worthy of love than yourself. But it takes, takes some practice. It's such a paradox. I, I want to ask you, if you met somebody, suppose you met somebody who really understood you, who really appreciated your sense of humor, and um, understood where you were coming from, understood your hopes and your fears, and um, had similar taste, really got you. How would you feel about meeting somebody like that? Somebody who really gets you? Wouldn't you like it? 
there's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. (laughs) Only one. There's one person that completely understands your sense of humor. One person that truly understands your fears and your hopes. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you would probably be saying, where have you been all my life? Thank goodness I finally met you. It's just this distorted misperception Albert Einstein has this phrase I love, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness. And from our own perspective, we don't see reality. But everybody who knows you and sees you and gets you and enjoys you sees who you are whether or not you think you're fooling them or whether or not you think you don't deserve it. They see who you are. We're usually the last person to see who we are. That optical delusion of consciousness. And I want to share with you a little uh, loving kindness practice that I hit upon that was very, that was a turning point in my own practice, doing a, an extensive period of, of loving kindness practice at, um, at IMS. where I um, was doing um, Brahma Vihara practice for about um, six weeks. And the first week I was doing metta for self. You know, may I be safe from harm, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. And saying it over and over, that's the practice 24-7, or at least all waking hours. And it was okay. I wasn't giving myself a hard time. I wasn't really down on myself, but I wasn't head over heels in love either. I just kind of doing it and trusting, okay, I'd be safe, I'd be happy. And then uh, after about three days, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. No doubt about it. I didn't know why, but I know they did. And the thought occurred to me, this would be so easy if I saw what they saw. And then I magically had an epiphany to ask myself, well, what do they see? Why why do they love me? And um, that's when I um, hit upon this practice that, that really, as I said, was very impactful for me. And I'd like to share it with you, uh, something that you can kind of play around with while you're here. Um, I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. And bring to mind somebody, some being, and it can be uh, a pet, it can be a child, it can be any, anybody who you share a real uh, loving connection with, at least from time to time. If possible, not a complicated relationship, but if that's possible, but. And just envision them here, right here with you and in your space. 
and first feel that sweet connection that you share when you're together, when you're with your friend. First, delight in that, that you form this unique bond when you're connecting. And now for a few moments, imagine inhabiting their reality and see through their eyes or from their being who they see when they're with their friend that they enjoy so much. Why do they enjoy being with you? Just connect with all the the qualities that touch them about you. Might be your playfulness or your goodness or your creativity or your caring or whatever. Just drink it all in, as the poet says. Just get who you are. See if this person is worthy of happiness and kindness. You might wish that for this being called you from that perspective. May you truly see who you are and be happy. And now let your consciousness float back so that it's right inside your own being and from the inside, from the inside, stay connected to those qualities. And wish yourself well, whether you say in the first person or the second person, may I or may you, you might even say your name in there, see all the goodness inside. and learn to share it with the world more and more. Okay, and then you can open your eyes gently. If you at all touched even a glimpse of what your friend sees, saw, then uh, as I like to say, the jig is up. You can't pretend you're not worthy of kindness and love. And it's more and more seeing who you are and instead of thinking, oh, I'm really flawed and there's a little good stuff to see, oh, I'm basically a decent human being and good and there are some flaws that make me human. But the greater the context when you start to see and look for all your goodness and wholesomeness, um, the more you the more you will see it, the more you look for it, the more you'll see it. And to more and more nourish and nurture that understanding and that perspective. And this is a this is coming into wholeness where the wise part of you sees the flaws and is understanding. Here's another quick little um, uh, um, 
exercise that I have to, to uh, show this to myself. Just close your eyes and put your hand on your heart and uh, just get in touch with that little little boy or girl inside us all that's in you who sometimes gets scared or frightened or confused. And sending that part of yourself a lot of tenderness and love. And feeling it right through your hand and realizing you're the hand, you're the Kuan Yin or the Buddha that's giving that to yourself. That's completing the circuit where there's a wholeness, where everything comes together. Just feeling that this is where the real healing is. Not having everybody else tell you, you know, you're really okay, but to really get it from the inside, then it naturally shines through. Like that Dogen quote that, uh, that Eugene shared last night, to study the Buddha way is to study the self and to study the self is to forget the self because you feel whole and complete and you're not preoccupied with showing that you're okay to everybody else. And then to forget the self is to be intimate with all things where your goodness then can naturally shine through. But it starts with really being kind to yourself. Then you can be kind to everybody else. Okay, you can open your eyes. And one thing that that happens as you are more and more kind to yourself is you take good care of yourself. Here we are on this aging as a spiritual opportunity retreat. You want to take good care of your body. I mean, we all want to take good care of our bodies and ourselves, but if it's coming from kindness towards ourself it's it's coming from a whole different place then it's a practice of loving kindness when you exercise it stretch it do whatever you do and that's that's healthy for it or give yourself the sleep you need or the food you need or the 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 um, mental support that you need doing it out of kindness, not out of obligation. And when you're here on retreat, I would really encourage you, whenever you're doing something that you're supposed to, do it, or when you're doing something that feels right, do it because, out of kindness to yourself. It can be a, an ongoing practice of kindness. And that includes speaking kindly to yourself, which is often where we lay on the, uh, the, the trip, to speak kindly to yourself and to ask yourself a main question I have, what do I need right now? Whatever, you, whatever comes out of that, what do I need right now to show up fully for myself or to be mindful or to support my practice? What do I need? In life you might ask, what do I need for true well-being? and be honest with yourself, but coming out of that place of kindness. And then you see, who's who's doing the loving? Is it, oh, I'm so kind to myself now. It's just your natural goodness wanting to take care of yourself, just shining through.
It doesn't belong to you, even that, that basic goodness that you've been gifted with. So you don't have to take ownership with, for it or blame yourself for it, but you can celebrate that it's here and that you have it. So I'll close with a, a poem about seeing who you are. <clears throat> this is uh, called Awakening Now by Dana Falls. Why wait for your awakening? The moment your eyes are open, seize the day. Would you hold back when the beloved beckons? Would you deliver your litany of sins like a child's collection of seashells prized and labeled? No, I can't step across the threshold, you say, eyes downcast. I'm not worthy. I'm afraid. My motives aren't pure. I'm not perfect and surely I haven't practiced nearly enough. My meditation isn't deep and my prayers are sometimes insincere. I still chew my fingernails and the refrigerator isn't clean. Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? Forgive yourself. Now is the only time you have to be whole. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the light of your true self. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your disbelief. This is the day of your awakening. Let's sit for a moment. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the light of your true self. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your disbelief. This is the day of your awakening. and then come back for one last sitting and please come back if you thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate